Welcome to the Customer Acquisition Experience Podcast with Guy Rosman. This is the show where top digital marketers share proven tactics, tools, and frameworks that will help you acquire more customers and grow your business. Let's get started. Here is your host, Guy Rosman. Andres, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. Yes, it's great to have you here. And Andres, can we start by you telling us a little bit about your career and what uh, do you do? Yeah, so I have been involved with online customer acquisition since the very early days of online customer acquisition. So I've been doing it since the late 1990s, ran some of the very first ads online that you could run and some of the first A-B tests on those ads online and have been uh, involved with uh, startups ever since. So basically helped launch meetup.com. I made their first $14 of revenue, had a variety of different roles over the years there, including growth and product and strategy and community. And that eventually led me to start my current company. So I'm the co-founder and CEO of Do What Works. Nice. So, so first of all, you're an OG, which is great. I would love to hear about <laughs> your company, what you do. I would really interested to listen, uh, to learn a little bit about the growth in meetup.com, which is very f- like famous company, like a lot of people know it. And you said that, you know, you've been there in the early days. So it's interesting to me to listen, like, how was it back then without all the tools that we currently have? <laughs> so how did it look when you just started there? When I first started online, it was extremely rudimentary. The fascinating thing, though, is that the first principles, the ideas that we were working on are still the ideas that we work on today. It's just that everything you did, you had to basically brute force will it to happen. So if you wanted to get results and know how your ads are doing, you would actually have to manually type into a keyboard all of the results. You'd go to a portal from Yahoo or a portal from, let's time, Lycos or AltaVista or some of the other different online search engines before Google existed. You'd go get all the results and you'd literally have to just manually like bang, 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 type them in. And you'd work and work and work like 40, 50 hours a week just to get all this stuff into a spreadsheet. And then around five minutes, you'd have this five glorious minutes where you'd get to like actually analyze the data that now, you know, we all take for granted that Google just spits out for you. But we'd look at the data, but we were running very early split tests online. We would run uh, some ads with, you know, I was working for the Disney store online was my client. And so we'd run some ads with Winnie the Pooh on it and some without Winnie the Pooh. And then we do all the work to manually input the data and we'd eventually see whether or not Mm. People converted and how much it costed, and we figure out the cost per and what is the impact of having a Winnie the Pooh on your ad versus not. And we were able to see through all that hard work that you know the split test actually made a pretty significant difference. We were able to cut the cost in half, for example. But it was it was brutal. And the, while the first principles are there, thank goodness the world has made it easier and easier to get access to some of the data. Ironically, there's a lot of data you don't have access to today. I mean, it's still kind of a little opaque and hard to do. And that's kind of very much the problem that my company is solving. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Do What Works. Uh, How do you do it and who do you work with? What is the idea behind it? Yeah. So Do What Works is a company that helps growth leaders do what works. Uh, What we have built is an engine that detects the experiments that are being run 
by the world's top companies or any, any company we care to look at, truth be told. And we're looking at thousands of companies and it's able to detect the experiments that they're running on their homepage, on their key marketing pages, on their landing pages, and even in the ads that they run on search engines. And as a result, we have an understanding of what messages resonate and what messages don't. What are the user experiences that resonate and don't that drive conversion on a landing page? So how do you get people to your front door and how do you get them through the front door is what our engine can detect. And then we've built products that layer and leverage this patented technology that we have that allows us to make it possible so that with AI, we can help them write headlines very quickly and effectively that are more likely to work on search engines based on winning and losing variants. We can help them optimize the experience that they've created on their homepages and on their marketing sites and landing pages so that they can improve the conversion rates. Because at the end of the day, you're either going to spend more money or you're going to get more results from the money you're spending. And so what conversion optimization is all about through the messaging that you're putting through your ads or through the experience you create on landing pages is about getting more results for the money you spend. For sure. So it's interesting. So you basically monitor the A-B tests out there in the world, and, and then you provide the data to the smart marketers, right, who wants to be better and improve the conversion rate. That's right. So and now we're actually even interesting, using AI. Yeah, guy, we even, we're not, now we're using AI to use that data to just make it easy to get drafts of copy, for example, to write on their behalf. So... Got it. It's really interesting. And, and for me, it all started with being able to just look at the data. I was like, I'm a nerd and I'm really passionate about customer, customer behavior and what moves and what motivates people to adopt things or not. But now it's actually getting to the point where you can use the artificial intelligence based on the winning and losing data to generate stuff. And I didn't expect it was going to be this good this fast. It's gotten really good really fast when you have the right training data. And I'm kind of blown away by what I'm seeing. Nice. Okay, that's interesting. And do you see that, uh, you know, from the data that you gather, are there like some concepts that like always work? Like, let's say Winnie the Pooh, he always <laughs> wins, right? Or does it, it changes with circumstances and different companies and different campaigns and different channels? Yeah, it's a great question. There are... So one of the coolest things about our platform, between looking at millions of headlines that are run on, on search ads and between looking at what we've now seen is over 15,000 experiments on people's websites, you can definitely start to suss out patterns when you look and say, okay, well, not just what kinds of copy makes a difference, what kinds of user experiences, what kinds of imagery work or don't work. The way that we think about it and what we're learning is that there are patterns that emerge, but they tend to be more sector specific. So context does matter. And so there are things that we see, for example, like in B2B that are sort of different than B2C. The other thing we see a lot though, which is really fascinating, is that there are trends that emerge that are very popular or that are conventional wisdom that people invest a ton of time and money into and waste months and months and months testing. And almost always when I see a certain test being run, I'm like, that's not going to make a difference. Like for example, you see people get a hold of a, of a new technology. They'll get a hold of Optimizely. They'll get a hold of, of some technology that lets them start to optimize their button colors, for example, or anything they want. And they're like, all right, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to do all red buttons versus all green buttons versus all yellow buttons versus all whatever buttons. It almost never matters. When we're, when we're analyzing experiments, button color, like uniformly changing every single thing just does not matter. 
we saw a trend in the last year, which is really fascinating around QR codes, where companies were using QR codes to motivate users to download their apps, right? A brand new prospective user on their site to download an app. And we started seeing company run this, saw company one run this test and then another company and then another company and then another company. And as we looked at all their experiments, what was really fascinating is they're almost running the exact same experiment. It would take about a month every single time they ran it. And almost every single time we saw people using QR codes for a customer experience, like for a customer acquisition experience, it almost always failed. Like it almost never moved the needle. And so what's fascinating about that guy is that the reality is that 80% of experiments that people run do not move the needle. So this is a stat that comes from Optimizely. And for the website, conversion rate optimization tool, convert.com, I believe they've said that 13% of experiments on their platform move the needle, which means 87% don't. What does that mean? It means that one in five to one in seven move the needle. Inverse of that is that you're going to spend four out of five months a year on things that don't work. Wow. And that's a lot. It's a lot. And that's the problem that we're solving for. Because the reason they all fail is because everyone is relearning every experiment on their own. It's like, can you imagine the state of science? If every single scientist in the history of science only learned from their own experiments and they weren't ever to leverage the experiments that were being run by somebody else, it would, we would be in the dark ages right now. We would, there'd be crazy amounts of, we'd be having leeches trying to cure COVID, right? It'd be, it'd be a disaster. And, and so that's what we solve is we basically make it possible for folks to re-level the playing field based on the on what's winning and losing for other people. Got it. Okay, that's great. So you said, uh, like, as you said, a lot of people invest a lot in, in tests and sometimes it's just because they have a new tool, right? <laughs> yeah. So other than testing buttons and testing things that maybe don't matter, like what other common mistakes you see that people do often when running experiments? Yeah. Well, mistakes is going to be very relative to, to the goals that you have for yourself and the state of your company. And so the most important thing you want to do when running an experiment is try and find the things that are going to be, the, try and operate in the places where one, you have the most reach. So where, where you can affect a lot of people, which is why it's really fun to actually run experiments on your paid media, on your search ads. It used to be really fun to run experiments there. You used to get a lot of data there. Uh, we're solving for that too. But like when you're running experiments in your paid media, you, you talk to a lot of people. And so you get a lot of data very quickly. As you move lower and lower in your funnel, as you go to your landing pages, it takes longer and longer. And the most important thing is to focus your energies on the what the head of Asana's growth program calls golden pages. I really wish I could take credit for that, but I can't. I promised him I'd give credit, give him the credit. But a golden page are the handful of pages that are sort of the most high trafficked or the most high importance uh, pages that a user will flow through in order to do business with your company your homepage, your pricing page, your product page, your signup page, your landing page. Those five pages are going to have a disproportionate impact on the results. And that's where you want to double down and focus as much of your energies as you possibly can and learn lessons there. And then the other thing you want to generally do is, is learn the lessons that are that can be extrapolated. So if it's not just around like what message resonates here, but it's, it's or what headline works. It's a little bit around like, does an informal tone work better than a formal tone for us? Does do bullet points work better than sentences? 
Do we want to have longer, more content on the page or less content on the page? It's really, it's dependent on the page itself. And we're seeing patterns across companies for the specific pages by, by industry, but that's what you want to learn. And so the biggest mistakes are generally doing things that are on no reach, on low reach places, generally doing things that don't matter because they're not going to be like, you could have learned that lesson from somebody else or running experiments that don't necessarily provide a generalizable learning that just provide an outcome. The more you can have an outcome and a lesson learned, well, that's even better because then you've gotten a win for the future. You've planted a seed. You didn't get some fruit today. You planted a seed for tomorrow. Yeah, got it. Makes sense, definitely, to focus, you know, on what moves the needles and then the golden pages. And um, so if I come to plan an experiment, like, do you have like a, a method or other best practices that I should think of when I come to plan and, and run a, a successful experiment? Yeah. Other thing you probably want to think a little bit about is your aperture. You can think of it like a camera, which is, are you very, very, very narrowed in? Or are you more zoomed out? My experience has generally been that people love running experiments in the most narrowed in way you possibly can, because that's extremely scientific. And when I started running tests, that's what I did a lot. And I loved it. And by the way, we see many, many, many experiments on a singular thing. And we love those because we learn the most from those because <laughs> it's very, very clean. The problem with running experiments with a very narrow aperture where you're sort of testing pixel by pixel by pixel is that it will take you a million years to test all the variants of things you're going to try. You want to try across the entire page. So you're very confident. You're very precise, but you're very slow. The flip side is when you go all the way out and you're like, we're going to do a full scale redesign. And I sort of call that 52 card pickup, which is a game that my older siblings used to play with me. I don't know. Have you ever played? Do you have older siblings guy? I do, but... Uh, they ever play 52 card pickup with you? Here's, here's how 52 no, no, pick up. not this game. An older <laughs> sibling goes to their younger brother, I was the youngest, and they say, hey, do you want to play 52 card pickup? And you say, yeah, I do. And they take 52 cards and they throw it up in the air and it lands on the ground and they say, okay, now pick it up. Oh, okay. So it. <laughs> uh, it's basically just taking something that's orderly and just making it full chaos. What's going to happen when you redesign a website, a full redesign more, and love, more than anything is you're going to introduce new things that are going to help. You're going to introduce new things that are going to hurt and you have no idea what worked or didn't work. And you're just hoping. You're hoping for the best. And so kind of having too broad an aperture where you're just making a thousand assumptions just compounds your error as well. So what you want is sort of the right sweet spot in between where you assemble the building blocks of the pieces because the more central to a user experience, the more important a component is to how people are, what you're trying to help people achieve, the better. So you want a Goldilocks. Uh, not too small, not too big, and, and sort of the right combinations of things. So maybe like how to convey how it works, how much you prioritize, where on the page you put something like that. Those are the places where you're going to see a more meaningful impact, like the nature of the user experiences you're flowing through, how many plans you offer, how you convey savings, the like core essential questions that one poses and answers when looking at or considering buying a service, a service, a service or a product is what you want to have your experiments sort of focus in on at that level of aperture. And then what our clients do, or we encourage people to use the winning experiments as like building blocks so that you don't have to test every single pixel, like use the, the combinations of things together. Yeah. And so do you have like a, other examples like you gave, you know, with the QR code, the things that you saw that uh, repeating everywhere, 
and maybe people should be aware of? Yeah, it's hard to generalize across multiple sectors. There was a fun experiment I saw recently from a streaming company, for example, with free, F R E E versus zero dollar. Yes. Nice. Right. And we we can make this a guessing game if you like that. But they tested on the pricing page whether or not to say that something was free for a certain amount of time or whether it was zero dollars for a certain amount of time. Which do you think won? Yeah, I would guess free because it's so powerful. But I'm probably wrong. So just give it to me. Well, you're actually correct in this experiment. So it was Yay. free was, was the winner, for example, in that regard, which I think is really, really fascinating in terms of how you convey something like that. Because what the beautiful thing about experiments is that they just help give you signal about what makes humans tick. And more often than not, what it raises is questions or theories. For me, the theory that I have related to free is that it's the free is, is sort of an emotional cell. And zero dollars is a very rational cell. Oh yeah. When something is zero dollars, that's math, as opposed to free is 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 feeling. Mm. And uh, that's my theory as to why. Now, if I wanted to, if I was really, if I had infinite time and money, I would probably commission a study and I'd go ask people to, um, you know, I, I'd go have researchers actually try and elicit or draw more insights around that. But. I'm a little bit more pragmatic in that regard. So I'm just using it as a data point to inform a point of view that's sort of shaping and evolving as I go forward in the world and as I learn from every experiment that I look at. No, actually, I agree. I think that also when, for me, when I hear zero dollars, it tells me that something has low value. Whereas when it's Mm. free, it has value, but it's free for me or it's free today. And therefore, I really, really want it, you know? So this is the difference. I love that theory. In my mind. I love it. That's really yeah. cool, guy. I like that theory a lot. You can use it if you want. <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> Steal it. Deal. No problem. Deal. Cool. All right. So, so lastly, I, you mentioned it before, but AI is here and AI is really developing in the last few months. And I was wondering to, to hear a little bit more, like uh, how do you plan to use AI more you know, to enhance your services and to enhance your learnings? And how do you see it come into play? Yeah. So the way that I look at AI is that it is an incredible enabler if you have the right training data and if you can make effortlessly baked into your process. And so we have very, very interesting training data. We have the point of view, we have data that gives a signal about what resonates and doesn't work on search ads. And so we're actually launching a brand new service right now. We're in the middle of launching it right now, actually, where you give it keywords, figures out what are the most likely to resonate messages by from advertisers on those keywords. And it gives you back insights on what's working for you, what's not working for you in terms of what's resonating, what is resonating for your competitors. And then it uses the AI to generate 15 headlines based on the things that are most likely to resonate and least likely to resonate and ultimately makes it possible for you then to select or optimize your ad copy that you're using on search engines, search engine marketing, search engine ads in a way that is currently such a pain in the neck to try and do. (laughs) It's a massive pain in the neck. So people don't do it that often. We're making it not just like database, like giving you the vision, but using the AI to make it as effortless as possible. And that's where it comes in. So it really comes down to me to this question of saying AI ultimately will disappear. Saying you have AI is like saying I have a website at a certain point in time. 
And what really matters is do you have really interesting training data that can shape a unique experience that makes people's life better? And ultimately, the AI should disappear. You shouldn't even notice the AI. Mm-hmm. It will just be there yeah. and you'll take it for granted because it just works. And that's what we want to get life to. That's kind of our mission. We're excited. It's so interesting. Guy, as, as a person who was involved in the internet in the early 90s, in the mid-90s, is one of those things where like it feels very similar to how I felt in 1996, 97 timeframe where the internet was coming on board and it was suddenly possible to do all these new things and to invent new things. And what everybody first did is they just made an online version of their brochure. Right? Every website was just a brochure. <laughs> yeah, sure. And then it got really cool over time because people figured that you could use it to do stuff, to make people's lives better, to like think of it as a service. That's how we think about the AI as an enabler, not an end in and of itself. Yeah, love it. Nice. Good uh, vision, you know, for the future that's coming. I'm excited about it. Uh, Andres, anything else that you would like to share before we wrap this up or also tell us how people can reach you? Yeah, so the uh, company they can find at dowhatworks.io. And I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. That's my, that's my place of choice. So if you go to look for me, look up uh, Andre Sklusman on LinkedIn. You'll find me and you'll find the stuff that I put out there. Nice. So I encourage people to do it. I will do it myself right now. And thank you <laughs> so do. much for your time, Andres. <laughs> it was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Customer Acquisition Experience Podcast with Guy Rosman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about what you're struggling with right now. So make sure to connect with us on LinkedIn or just jump onto our website, at mediaflows.com, fill out the form and get a complimentary 15-minute call to evaluate your paid advertising strategy. Thanks again and see you in the next episode.